Let's enter directly into this text. we left off yesterday, or this morning, I should say, in yesterday's episode, was in the other text, so something like, uh, quote, give teachings fully to the sentient beings without material considerations. Yes? The Kashyapa requested sutra says, uh, so we're in, we're in the uh, business page 189 in uh, the section on generosity. The Kashyapa requested sutra says, giving Dharma teachings with pure mind, without material considerations, is highly praised by all the victorious ones, as I said this morning. Maintaining gentle thoughts, which, we, which I covered this morning, means showing Dharma motivated by compassion. Uh, that's what I mean by gentle thoughts. But uh, t- thoughts that turn the mind in a loving, compassionate way. unless uh, some fierce means is needed. But they're not talking about that here. It's more um, sutra, sutta, sutta uh, level teaching. And uh, it says, beautiful here, it says, the condensed perfection of wisdom sutra says, give dharma to the world in order to eliminate suffering. This is, of course, uh, uh, knowing what dharma is for. You give, uh, you teach dharma, or give dharma, uh, share dharma, uh, you have to know what Dharma is. And Dharma is the elimination of mental afflictive suffering, not uh, to pacify it, not to make it nice, not to settle it down, but actually to root it out um, so that it doesn't arise again. And if you come to understand this by experience and uh, by study and, and true experience, then eventually that's all that you will do, whatever you do in whatever form. It will be in some form, the activities you do will be to root out the defilements, even if it's totally invisible to the recipient of it. They may not even have a clue. But that's what you're on about. It doesn't mean you're wearing Buddhist robes. It doesn't mean you're waving rosaries at them. But it does mean that, that your whole being is on about uh, liberation, and full liberation, and that that's palatable, uh, or not palatable, but it's a gift. That's that's the great the great gift. Yes. Can one root suffering up the, the roots out from another person, or does someone have to? Do that someone has to do it themselves, but you can go a long, long way if they have trust and confidence in you uh, to help them root it out. But they have to do the work. You can give them blessings. You can provide them with the means to develop uh, uh, parami and merit. But they must do the insight practice. You can point out, they can, you can actually point out uh, the experience of liberation so they have a taste of it. They still have to do the work. It does not mean that they, they have it. But uh, you can go a long way. But that's to do with the heart connection between the... Um, that's a little bit different than here. But that's a heart connection between the teacher and the, and the so-called student. Stop using that word all the time. But the trainee, the disciple, the the being, the uh, young bodhisattva, the novice bodhisattva growing. Uh, that um, if they have tremendous trust and open heart uh, to the teacher, 
then they can go a very long way to removing obstacles. But they have to want to. That's, that's their, their, uh, their urge, their need. Okay. But no, no one can go like that and remove obstacles. Sometimes temporarily, it's interesting. You know if you're walking by a cliff and <coughs> that, that shock sometimes wakes people up. Um, being on a boat and you know they're doing something, oh, excuse me, <coughs> fall in the cold water, sometimes they wake up and they go, wow, what was it like? Refreshing. So what was the last date? Oh, yeah. So, so there, are, there are things that one can do to wake a being up to show them, but they're still going to have to actually practice and bring it about themselves through merit and the accumulation of insight. Okay? Good. Satisfactory? Give dharma to the world in order to eliminate sufferings. Three, actual dharma. Show the dharma, sutras, you know, all know sutras, yes? The spoken words of the Buddha. Uh, the word sutra is Sanskrit. The word sutta, S-U-T-T-A, is Pali. And usually there's a difference. The, the Pali is used for the Theravadan teachings. Uh, by the way, of many schools. Theravadan is only one of the schools, just to let you know. It's the main school that survived. There was many, after the Buddha's death, there was many, many different schools that had different names. They were all Dharma. But the one that we know the most is the Theravadan tradition, which spread through Southeast Asia. And then there was a rise, a very strong rise of, of Mahayana. They decided to call themselves uh, Mahayana. Okay? And then Tibetan Buddhists and Chinese Buddhists and Zen Buddhists and so on, Tentai, and these different names. But they're all, all about Dharma. Okay? So, mm-hmm. does Siddhama Nikaya come within Theravada? The which? Does the Siddhama Nikaya school come within Theravada? Yes. Theravada. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It also carries the flavor of Mon, which is uh, very, very uh, Mahayana. So in, so in the Theravadan tradition, the, do you all know this? It's good for you to know, because some of you may not. The sut, sut, suttas refer to the words spoken by the Buddha, and these texts are found in Pali. Uh, the texts called sutras, which are written in Sanskrit primarily, yes, some of them are, I think some of them are, are now, they're in Tibetan because they were, they were, they were lost or burnt or destroyed in, uh, in India during the, Mo- the Mongol invasions. Uh, so that those body of texts that are of the Mahayana tradition, as spoken words of the Buddha, are called sutras. Do you understand? And there's many, many uh, Mahayana sutras that you will not find uh, in the suttas, in the, in the Theravada suttas, and vice versa. Okay? Different, different time, different age. Actual Dharma. Show the Dharma, sutras, and so forth without mistake or perversion. This is very important. Uh, Not to pervert uh, Dharma by um, mixing it with, um, uh, I'll just say, cultural uh, 
bibbop, you know, or, or, or you know, stuff that is um, has nothing to do with dharma, or makes it really appealing to people, but actually makes it in a form that's no longer dharma. Uh, mixes too much personal experience, tainted, and is called dharma. Uh, reinterprets passages where there's no. This is not the tradition. Or uh, a being, perhaps, perhaps, I always leave it open, a being that has never had transmission of teachers in those lineages that uh, goes off and, you know, for instance, uses the internet or reads books, and from there they uh, interpret Dharma. So these, these kinds of things. This, this, many people would be, would be considered a form of perversion. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean that somebody can come along uh, who has a tremendous experience and... Uh, compassion, and can read it and explain it. These are very rare, very rare beings, and can play it without perversion. So perversion has all kinds of levels, from minor to, to major. This is why sometimes I'm very careful, when I, I'm, I try to be very careful when I'm teaching, to let you know that what I'm saying uh, when it comes up is a personal view. I'm no longer, it's, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like a conflict of interest in a... In a uh, Institution, conflict in an an NGO or something like that, I now step out of the place as a board member. I step off the diamond throne and say, this is is actually the experience of Lama Mark. And I might let you know it's in accordance with tradition. You see? Or it's not in accordance with tradition, but this is my my view. Just so you, you know, this is my view. So it's not perverting in any way, this. So I'm very try to be very very careful that way. So uh, so so these are things. These are these are uh, telling potential teachers and teachers in training and bodhisattvas in training and so on. Uh, please don't do this. Please do not uh, um, enter into perverting uh, texts. Um, you know, for instance, there's some people that write dharma texts, but they don't. They've never had authorization by their root teacher to do so, or it's never been checked over by their colleagues, this, this kind of thing. So there's, it's, it's possi- possibly, I won't say it is or any, it possibly suspect. So to um, show the Dharma, show it. To, uh, that is to carry it out, to show it, sutras and so forth, without mistake or perversion, no mistakes. That means know your material. Or if you, if you don't know it thoroughly and deeply, say, I don't know this thoroughly and deeply. I haven't had a chance to, to, to practice it thoroughly and deeply. That's okay, because it may be of a, of a minor scale that, uh, or not quite of your tradition, and you go, no, sorry, it's just out of, out, out of that, that area. So it's also called being honest. Yeah? It's being honest, being compassionate, not needing to pump yourself up by making any claims that you don't have, and being natural and effervescent and uh, loving to people and sharing it in a way that's just very honest. And you, you, you grow into it. The Bodhisattva Bhumi says, in giving the Dharma, the meaning should be shown without mistake. Reveal it, without mistake. It should be shown logically so that minds can follow it. And if the minds can't follow it, you try again and you try again and the next year you try again try again, but it's important. Logic is considered, uh, contrary to what a lot of people think about Dharma, logic 
uh, logical analysis and logical steps is considered very, very high uh, talent. And um, um, in certain traditions, uh, lamas, uh, teachers, non-teachers, uh, monastics are, are trained for years and years and years in logic so that their minds aren't sloppy. Like in the uh, Hasidic tradition, from a young age, tr- trained in logic, trained in text uh, analysis, taking things apart and being able to expound uh, clearly and remove delusion that can be due to fuzzy-mindedness, illogical, so on. So the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about Dharma, which I've always loved, it attracted me from the very beginning, I st- still love it, is not only does it have a very strong tradition of logic and epistemology, how you know something, yeah? Very strong tradition. I mean, texts about knowledge, texts about how you know things, and debates, and a very rigorous uh, meditative tradition, uh, as far as I know, like none other on the planet, to a degree that is so highly evolved as meditative traditions, testing meditative experience, uh, checking with teachers, uh, building upon years and years of others on shoulders. It's extraordinary. So both this mystical side and this logical side are brought together yes, in a, a beautiful harmony. And people are challenged by their experiences. Well, prove it to me. You, you, you know you're saying this, but how does it fit in? How is it actually uh, make sense? It's this beautiful tradition that way. Both logic married with a, a mystical experience. Eventually, of course, at the highest levels, when it comes to the nat- Buddha nature or the Dharmakaya. Uh, be nice if I could explain it, but really can't. Because <laughs> it is mystical. In giving the Dharma, the meaning should be shown without mistake. It should be shown logically, and the disciple should be allowed to practice perfectly the basis of the training, if they have time. No, the, the student, it's up to the student or the teacher... Uh, provides the time to practice. Some students, uh, unfortunately, feel they need years and years and years, but um, one, um, this is why we have retreats. Yes? I mean, you could just say, uh, come over to Galliano or go to Vancouver, and in three days, I will read, give, give, I'll read, we'll, we'll study the Jewel Order Liberation. That's one way to do it. And then it's up to you to go off and study it. But, but uh, this is a marvelous opportunity, this is traditional, to spend time soaking ourselves in this, in this teaching. That's exactly right. To allow to practice. Four, uh, any questions about that? It's important. So if you, if you, and I hope all of you get to the point where it would be lovely if all of you uh, got to the point where you can at least share, feel confident to share Dharma, uh, maybe teach Dharma, a guide being someday, maybe, it would be lovely if you could. Uh, and you have to have authorization to do that. Uh, that you remember these words. Because as I say to many people who teach, watch for the most insidious virus of them all, which is teaching disease. The conceit, the dripping conceit, the pride that comes up, the gathering of wealth, the gathering of students, the counting of how many people are in retreat. 
How many students do you have? How many retreats do you do a year? You know, where do you go? Do you go to this center? You know, all these kinds of things. This is, this is gross. It's gross, it's gross. You should say that, say that to Miller Raypon. So, uh, have you been to the uh, Mandala such and such center in, uh, you know, Colorado or something like that? Uh, have you ever been? No, actually, I've been in the wilds of, uh, of uh, Alberta. You know? But up in, uh, you know, something like, uh, but up in Crawfordville, teaching Crawfordville. <laughs> How many students? Oh, one or two. They're interested. But they may, they may go on to, to influence hundreds of thousands. I, mean, I know a being up there is doing that right now. Lovely Bodhisattva. Great teacher. Quietly, quietly, working away, practicing and teaching, ripening beans. Method of showing Dharma teachings. You should not give teachings immediately when someone asks you. This is, this is uh, traditional. Under most circumstances, most circumstances is correct. If someone asks you, they say, "So, uh, you know, you're you're at the cafe or the bar, and uh, so I hear you're into Buddhism. I, I do this with fun, right? But is it is it is it the case? You, you, this comes from many many years. So, uh, bother chewing gum. I really like that, yeah, chewing gum. So, um, tell me about Buddhism. Uh, tell me tell me what it's all about. What's what's like? What's the meditation retreat and like like what's the, what's the nature of it? Like chewing, like it's like you know, like a cow chewing cud. So, and you go. Look at that BMW. That's a BMW 302 out there. I 302i, I think. Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? That's yeah, good. It's finished. It's all, all done. The crust is done. They're on. You're onto cars or something. Yeah. See how long that lasts. So uh, you know, at work or something like that, they come up to you at work. So I hear, I hear, I hear you came out of retreat. You know, I could be a stand-up comedian someday. I'm working at it. But I, 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 hear, I hear you just came out of retreat. That's cool. So, like, are you enlightened? And, and what did you do? What did, tell me what this Dharma thing is. I hear this Dharma thing. You with, you with a guru? Maybe a cult of some type? A guru? A cult? Tell me all about it. Mm. Sagely nod your head. Mm-hmm. It was very good. Very good. Very good indeed. So they're talking about the casual... The casual, the insincere, the ten-year-old uh, who's moved from dinosaurs to Dharma. D is for Dharma. Tell me all about Dharma. And you go on and on and on. They're going, as if they're truly interested because they're, they're learning how to um, now communicate with adults. And he maybe crossed her, at ten years old, crossed her legs, looked like an adult. Yeah. Do you remember the first moment that you crossed your legs? Anybody remember the first moment you crossed your legs? It's fascinating. You try to recall the first moment you actually crossed your legs, not even like this for guys, but for just like this, you know, that, that kind of. So remember that. And where, we, where you were and how it happened. I have a distinct memory of the first time it happened. I went, wow. <laughs> I was with a bunch of grown-ups in a science seminar. Yeah? A whole bunch of graduate students and professors. I was, I was only 15 at the time. And I remember just my legs went like this. Wow. Look at that. I'm a grown-up. Maybe I'll look like a grown-up. 
so uh, they're they're uh, <laughs> they're letting you know. Uh, don't be casual about it. Don't be casual. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, if someone re asks you for spiritual teaching, they ask for guidance. Uh, don't unless you have great skill and it's you, you really know you've been at it a long time and you have good skill and you know what you're doing. Don't do it on the fly. Say, yep, you can meet me at my house on such and such a time. You can come over. If you want Dharma instruction, uh, or if you want to hear more about Dharma, uh, let's go to an appropriate place, uh, appropriate meeting, an appropriate time, and see if they're interested, and usually they're not. We'll have the time of day for it. Most people, if you want to know, uh, even though they have a little bit of bodhicitta, really on the surface, they're not interested in liberation. They're not. It takes, that can take a long time. For, it's, very, it's not very common that you meet someone who says, you know, so tell me about Dharma. You know, oh, yes. I want that. I want liberation. I want liberation for all of you. That is very rare. Very rare. It does happen. Okay, the king of meditative absorption sutra says, concerning the generosity of giving Dharma, if someone requests it, first you should respond this way, a quote, I have not studied that in detail. This is very, this is very Eastern, this is very traditional. I'm not, I'm not uh, dismissing anyway, but just to know this is a very Eastern formula. I, I don't know any Dharma, and I, I really haven't been trained very well. Um, and uh, maybe you should see somebody else, see, see a teacher uh, about it. Um, I'm sure there's many teachers that are more learned in this. And this is a way of actually seeing as a person really... Um, Interested. This kind of thing. This is a, a, for, a, a kind of formulaic way. Say, well, why would you be interested? And so on and so on and so forth. So just see. See, if, are they really interested or are they just kind of making conversation? Uh, because it's actually quite denigrating to the Dharma, which is very precious, to treat it in that way, both for the teacher to treat it that way or for the uh, uh, potential student to make it so casual. I have done that. I've done it very casually. I'm fine. And it's uh, paid its uh, dividends and rewards, but it uh, must be an intuitive feeling. It's very strong that this is an important moment, important time. But you have to be very, very careful not to waste your energy this way. Uh, and why one would do this? What's your motivation? What's your motivation? I have not studied that in detail. Sorry, later. Uh, perhaps when I've studied it more, I can share it with you. That's a good way of putting them on. Or why don't you see uh, Lama so and so or so and so? They're 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 over there. Or they're in town and much much uh, more learned in this in this sort of thing. So this, this is actually how you see if there's a connection or there's that sort of thing. No, I'd like to study with you. Okay, we'll see. Let's see. Come back uh, next week. Come back uh, on Thursday at four o'clock in the morning. Come back at. You know, three o'clock in the morning, and uh, we'll, we'll see under this lampshade uh, that's uh, down on uh, you know so and so the docks. That's no, joke. And, and also, do not relate it immediately. You should start by examining the vessel. Who is this vessel? What are this? Is this vessel suitable? Once you know the vessel well, then you should give teachings even without a request. And this is this is a, a rare. It can be rare. This means that when the students are very close and they, there's a very good relationship, long-term relationship, you know the vessel well, and then more and more it's this is what we're going to study. This is what you're going to study. 
This is, this is not just waiting for a teaching request, but for instance, let's say that, I'll give you an example, let's say Crystal Mountain didn't invite me one summer. I would still teach. If I, if I had the requests or I felt there was beings around that were suitable, I would still teach. It wouldn't matter if Crystal Mountain was there or not, or Mongapeka or Dharma Center, doesn't matter. Go to Italy. Say, okay, great. We're getting on a freighter, we're getting on a boat, or we're getting a cars, and we're going to go down to the Mojave Desert. Well, not this time of year, but... Uh, you know, we're going we're to go down there, and actually, uh, we're going on a Dharma study course. That's just that's it. So, so uh, that's because those beings are ready, and uh, then they're mature enough to be to be led and told, "This is what we're going to do next." And they're interested. They're actually interested. You know that, unless something comes up in life, like like uh, death in the family, uh, serious loss of finances, these kinds of things. These are very good. These are wonderful recommendations, and they're very traditional. So, examining the vessel, uh, unless you're an extraordinary, true clairvoyant, that means you've really got good wisdom attainment. Your 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 third eye has been drilled out with a drill bit. So we like a what a five, five sixteenths. Yes, it's good size. About five sixteenths through the forehead. Not too, yeah, that's right. Always remember, not too narrow and not too wide. Just right to, to open up the center. You know where that comes from. Oh, oh, you don't know where that comes from. Uh, uh, one of the, Love Sang Rampa. The, uh, the book, his, one of the first books uh, that Dr. Uh, the, the plumber who wrote them. Anyways, the, the plumber. Uh, what's the author of Lobsang? Uh, Dr. Dr. Lobsang. Yeah, Dr. Lobsang. Uh, anyways. Dr. Friday. Dr. Friday, yes. Dr. Friday, that's right. Dr. Friday and his cat. So, so uh, in, in one of the first books, it might be the first book that he wrote back in the 50s, I think it was, or 60s, um, they were in a monastery, a monastery in Tibet, and the secret way of opening the third eye for clairvoyance was they drilled it out. They drilled it with a drill. The, the Tibetan monks, lamas. But this sold millions. Do you know this sold millions? It was all made up his mind. And you go further in books and you go, he gets extremely disassociated. <laughs> so far gone, he used to go into a mental institution. As a matter of fact, he had to escape to Toronto. Well, he's drummed out of, drummed out of England. He ended up in Toronto. But anyways, so if you want to know about opening it that way, you have to read the first book, or one of the first books by Lobsang Rampa. Anyways, so short, uh, pardon that little digression, but... Uh, <laughs> In this, uh, uh, keep it lighthearted, but you know, in, in seriousness, uh, short of increasing real uh, direct, direct knowing about a being, uh, and even then, some teachers uh, will say, I've, uh, I've read this, I've heard this, a, a, teach, a, a teacher wants to get to know the student deeper and deeper, well, uh, better and better and better over time, um, because... Uh, it's very rare that there, there are full Buddhas around. You know, full Buddhas have complete understanding of, of exactly what the training is and, and this sort of thing. It takes time to actually um, uh, get, get the feel of the being, if you wish. Yes? The feel of the being. And I say, well, you should just know exactly what I'm on about. And, uh, what, what, uh, what, what should I be training in? So on. Well, yeah, maybe. A quick, a quick reading. But you actually want to go, what, what, what is it this being really needs? So you have to spend time with a teacher, not just, hi. Uh, tell me everything I need to do for the next 20 years so I can leave now. It's not really proper.
Now, when you're a very suitable vessel, if you've never met the teacher, and you're a very, very suitable vessel, and the connection's there, the uh, entire path can be spelled out in a, in a couple sentences. That's it. It's finished. That's a different kind of... Boom. Done. Here's, here's the quintessential set goal. Done. Once you know the vessel well, then you should give teachings even without a request. When one gives a teaching, it should be in a clean and pleasing place. In other words, a suitable place. A suitable place. Yeah. Why? Because you're giving respect to the teaching of Dharma. You're giving respect to the, the, uh, the Buddha, the Dharma Sangha. You're giving respect to the teaching. You're elevating into a precious surrounding and so on. Of, clothes. of course, the clothes of the teacher should reflect that. They should be pleasing clothes, not dumpy, not uh, culturally, um, um, a culturally appropriate for elevating the teaching. You see, whatever is culturally appropriate for elevating the teaching a little bit doesn't have to be a suit and tie necessarily. Some Dharma teachers I've I know I have met, but I've seen. I occasionally see a picture or something like that, and they're wearing a suit and tie. Maybe that's what they feel is appropriate for the way they teach, or, or maybe they have an academic background, they just or a business background, and they feel that's who they're addressing. Maybe that's more comfortable for the people. Sometimes I wear I've I've been known to wear a lab coat. True, actually, it's a pink lab coat actually. Uh, once you know the vessel well, then you should give teachings even without request. Uh, no, sorry, move to this in a clean and pleasant place. Build a wide, comfortable throne. This is from the uh, White Lotus, the Sublime Dharma. It says, in a clean and pleasant place, uh, build a wide and comfortable throne. So in Mahayana teachings, not in Theravada teachings. In Theravada teachings, usually because it's monastic, very monastic, oh, so is this. The, the teacher traditionally uh, is on either on the same level as the students or usually no more than a, a, a raised mat or raised platform of eight inches. This is usually the, the way. It's not, not up on a, a throne. But in Mahayana and in especially Vajrayana, the importance of the Lama or the, the guru, uh, Sanskrit guru, Tibetan Lama, uh, as one's um, mentor is so important and so elevated as a representation of the Buddha that uh, it, it is, you're supposed to put out a throne. Yeah? And of course in our tradition sometimes we put out a lovely chair. Uh, when someone puts out for a, a lama teacher a plastic lawn chair, you know the kind that tilt over, they, on the, under the weight, they kind of buckle, then, <laughs> then, you, then you know maybe the lama should be running for the hills yeah. as fast as possible. No, that's true. It shows a tremendous disrespect that someone couldn't take, maybe have taken a chair from their home, their precious chair from their home, and see the teacher in that. But no, they just whatever chair is fine. So this is underlying aggression, underlying um, um, pale, non-meritorious mind that can't, can't elevate. It. You, it, always a wonderful thing to do is you ask yourself, what would you do for a beloved, honored friend? So uh, this is very important. In a clean and pleasant place, build a wide and comfortable throne. This is traditional, too, that if you invite a teacher, a Mahayana or a Vajrayana teacher, then you, uh, even, if it does, even if it's not this high, this is getting higher, I think. It's getting higher by the day. Um, but, okay, maybe. But uh, at least a platform. And this is also so that many people uh, can hear, not just so the teacher is just elevated, they can actually hear well. 
and uh, the and especially now that people are sitting in chairs, it's very important. One should not be sitting higher than the teacher, in the same way that a picture shouldn't. My none of my teachers should be lower, out of respect. Um, so these are these are common. I always consider these manners, but a lot of people don't consider this. They don't they don't consider these things. So this, this is all about natural manners uh, of elevating the the uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The teacher should sit on the throne and give teachings. It is said, sit on a supported seat decorated with various silks. Why silks? Silks represent bliss, clarity, uh, and non-discrimination. They represent high. So why silks? Remember where this is coming from. Who would have silks? Royalty. Only royalty would have silks. Only royalty could own silks. So giving great respect uh, both to the, the Lama, to the, the Buddha, the Dharma Sangha, that you honor it greatly and you've actually spent a bit of money or gathered, if you don't have money, gathered, beautiful fabrics, beautiful surroundings. Yeah? And that's one of the reasons for you to know this house uh, was built uh, on that premise as a beautiful, inspiring place, not an ordinary place. It's not um, the artwork in it, the, um, the attention to detail, the windows, the, the, the painting, all these things uh, is not for the benefit of, of, of my living, but is when people come here to visit for interviews or for Dharma teaching, uh, it should be a place of beauty, a place of great beauty, clean, beautiful, uh, a place that is uh, suitable to be a temple for the teaching of Dharma. It's very important. The teacher should give Dharma teachings when clean, not dirty, not uh, uh, full of caked of mud. Maybe ashes would be okay. Now, this is where, this is where we stray into Vajrayana, but, but um, the teacher should look presentable and clean, uh, not unkempt. Have a gentle uh, behavior, at least before the students start to get going a little bit. Be neat and well-dressed. Thus, with all the disciples... Any questions about this so far? It's pretty straightforward. You can see why, yes? Wearing, wearing, um, wearing your bathrobe is not on. Should I spell this out? Wearing your bathrobe is not on. Wearing your spandex uh, joggers is that you 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 know is not on, but something that that elevates and shows uh, that the teacher respects the Dharma too, that conveys a cleanliness, a crispness, a, a upliftment for beings. Uh, this is this is a beautiful thing to do. It can be very ordinary clothes. This is another thing, especially the way Namjoon Rinpoche taught. Uh, he often taught in very ordinary clothes but they were beautiful. In other words, he picked, he had a beautiful taste in colors. So, uh, it, you know, you look at it and you go, that's a gorgeous shirt. So it was a casual shirt. It wasn't a formal shirt. I think I was maybe one of the few people that ever went shopping for him to buy Italian dress shirts. He once sent me on a mission to Rome with a chunk of money and said, buy me Italian dress shirts. So I went and I bought beautiful dress shirts. Like, like this, you know, when I bought beautiful, just beautiful Italian designer uh, dress shirts. They weren't they're fancy, they were just 
just beautiful fabrics with lovely patterns that I could find, this sort of thing, very subtle. And he wore them for a while. <laughs> but he loved casual clothes, but they were beautiful casual clothes. Tailored well, beautiful casual clothes, very high quality, but casual. Um, it was lovely to see, lovely, to, lovely uh, the way he carried that off. And of course, for empowerments and other things, you know, and for teaching, always wearing the robe. Uh, but uh, it was a principle here, which is not clinging to fancy dress, but being able to elevate the Dharma by one's demeanor. And of course, always wearing the robe, uh, carrying the tradition uh, with you. He was a monastic. I, I carry this because I was ordered to do so, whether monastic or not. Um, out of respect or out of carrying on the tradition. And uh, when you teach Dharma, it's actually good to present to people that, that whether it's held like this or around the shoulders, that uh, if one has the authority to do this, that one is actually um, carrying on a 2,500-year-old lineage of teaching. It's not just coming from you. You know, Joe, Joe whoever or, or Miss whoever off the street now giving it. And it must not be casual. If it's casual, you better know what you're doing. You know what I mean? I'm willing to do that. Casual, you better know what you're doing. You're going to be giving very, very important instructions, very quick, to the point, and deep into the being's heart. Like a rose, pink rose-colored lance. Yes, there's a dakini that, ha- that, that carries a, uh, a bow and arrow that uh, has a sharp tip with a vajra, you know, a vajra end. Mm -hmm. And along it are these beautiful uh, lotus flowers. So so, uh, if you you, you know what you're doing, uh, very quickly you can penetrate the heart of a being uh, by um, piercing the delusion, piercing uh, even with love, with tremendous love, piercing delusion into the heart of, of what they need at that moment. Thus, with all the disciples gathered, the teacher sits on the throne. In order to, to forestall obstacles, he should recite the mantra, which overcomes the power of Mara's. Well, uh, maybe for other traditions, there's different traditions on this. This is this tradition. Uh, this is the advice from this tradition. Um, Different, different teachers start uh, the opening of different ways. Maybe, maybe uh, if you were schooled in this uh, more deeply, I was, but uh, this is not never, never uh, done. But uh, uh shows taught dispelling of obstacles and setting the tone in a uh, traditional, um, a Theravada way, or or um, bringing bringing the space together by the presence of the Lama. He's, he loved the, as you as you may know short, pithy, to the point, and being able to uh, dispense with anything that, that anything unnecess- unnecessary. But what I'm not saying this is not necessary, but, but by force of mind, by force of presence, by force of mind, uh, bring about the space so there's no obstacles, or a few obstacles. Yes. So we usually, uh, I follow his tradition to some extent. I've changed it a little bit, but I, I love starting. I always have. I started by Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samudas. I always figure if that was good enough for 
the ancient beings around the time of the Buddha, including the Buddha, and uh, all the great arhats and so on, and great followers that to dispel obstacles and begin the, the session of teaching. It's okay for this being. I'm fine. Obviously, my root lama thought so too. But, but this, this will go through this very shortly. If you want, as a good exercise, open your mind in all kinds of ways. You could go through it, and it's, in, it's Sanskrit, but it's actually a bit altered Sanskrit. But you could try to translate some of it. Just look some words up and try translating. See if you can find them. Tajata, Shame Shama, Wati, Shamita Satru. As some of the diacritical marks, I believe, are missing. Maybe, maybe in here, the di- maybe it might, might actually have the diacritical marks in here. That's very important. Here it is. Good tra- uh, translation. Wonderful. So first of all, in in uh, this is this is a sort of sort of Sanskrit. It is Sanskrit, but the diacritical marks look like they're many. Tajita shame shama wati samita shatru am kure mam kure maraditi karota ke yure tezo wati ola. Yani Vesuda Nirmale Mala Panaya Kukure Kaka Grase Grasana O Muki Param Muki A Muki Shamitwani Sarawa Grana Mandani Nigandava Sarawa Papara Wanina Vemuka Vemukta Mala Pasha Pray Pasha Shavatra Shavatta Buddha Mudra Anugatita Sarawa Mare Putsarita Parishude Vegatantu Sarawa Mara Karmani And translated by uh, by Professor Gunther. Quote, Peace, peace, appeaser of enemies, conqueror of Mara, you who wear a garland of skulls. Quite tantric. You resplendent one, you who look around, are pure and immaculate to remove all stains. You who look everywhere, who bind all evil, and are yourself free from the fetters of Mara. You who are wholly pure, let all the devilish impediments vanish. So, Banda, Banda, Banda. You, uh, Sagramati, when one repeats this mantra before the explanation starts and then expounds the Dharma, the Mara Kula Devatas, these are the, uh, the beings that want your body parts. The demonic forces that want your body parts, want your body, want your blood, suck things, the neomancing creatures, in a radius for 100 miles cannot come to annoy and obstruct you. After recitation, you should explain the Dharma in a moderately loud 
voice. That is, a voice suitable. suitable. Today, uh, lots of Dharma ex- exposition is done how? Microphone. Even small gatherings, I guess, not microphone. And tape. This concludes my explanation of the gift of Dharma. That's pretty clear. So this is a way of uh, verbally and mentally uh, expelling, expelling, expelling any obstacles. I, I quite, I quite liked. Uh, this is fine. It's good to do if you're um, a teacher. But I quite liked uh, my root teacher's method and the Karmapa's method. Sit down and. Nobody messes with that mind. If there are obstacles, they'll find out. And if they're real obstacles, they'll be out the door. Shortly. So, it's fine. It's good enough. Then, when the Dharma teachings are given, they should be related to the subject at hand and be clear and moderate. Appropriate. And not too much drifting around with jokes and stories and things like that. You'll get, you know, sometimes a little bit um, too a little serious, you know. Heavy. heavy. Like, I like to see you laugh. It's good. But not, uh, not to take Dharma lightly, but to illustrate. I, I actually like this. It's a, it's a peculiar humor. Perhaps it's Canadian. I sometimes say, when, when people from overseas ask me, what kind of humor is that? I go, oh, it's Canadian. But I'm not sure it is. Uh, as this person over here says, it's probably just a, uh, a Markism or a Lama Markism. But, but uh, you, you, we need to laugh at ourselves. You know, We need to, 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 to poke fun at ourselves. And, and actually, I like, without um, getting tough with people and without hammering away on negatives, Make them elevate them to the absurd, so people go, "Wow, we do that." I, I like doing that. I find it fun. Take take a situation that people do that's ordinary, and just kind of, you know, like like an SCT, XCTV uh, routine or a Monty Python's. You make it so absurd that people laugh at themselves and go, "Wow, that's pretty weird." But you see, it is. It is because the, even the little stuff is weird. So I like to. But it should be clear, it should be moderate, and it should be about the subject of what? What's the subject of Dharma? All Dharma? Whether it's joking, whether it's this, whether it's that. What's it for? Liberation from overcoming afflictive emotions. So the mind is clear and frees a being of delusion. Let's find out more about what this is. How are we doing? Let's move right along. Increase. How do we increase all of this? Number five. Even though these three generosities may be small, there is a method to increase them. The bodhisattva, now you say it's very, very put it in there very briefly, right? Here's a method to, to increase them. Of course, it's supreme. The bodhisattva basket mentions Sariputra. Quote Sariputra, a wise bodhisattva can increase even a small gift. He can increase it through the power of primordial wisdom can expand through the power of discriminating wisdom and can make it infinite through the power of dedication. So you, you um, number one, Yeshe, number two, Sherab, and number three, through the power of dedication, uh, through um, um, Mangala blessings, through, through uh, ta- uh, Tashi, Tashi, Shog Tashi blessings, uh, making it expand. 
So first, increasing generosity through the power of primordial wisdom comes from the full realization that is free from the three spheres. That is, uh, free from uh, being caught in any kind of birth or position. So free from taking any position at all. That means free of any conceptual fabrication or contrivance. Because there aren't any in the universe. Only, only human beings and other creatures that are sentient have conceptual contrivance. Well, you might say, well, they're the universe. No, actually. Uh, they're not the total nature of the universe. And of course, if you look at those conceptual contrivances, what are you going to find? Space and light. Full realization that is free from the three spheres of Kamawachara, Rupawachara, Rupawachara. This is the realization that the giver is like an illusion. The gift is also like an illusion, and the recipient is like an illusion. No, they are illusions. Right? So the being that you are giving a gift to is an illusory manifestation of one's projected mind uh, uh, events. The being that's giving it is also an apparition, and the gift is an apparition. The gift of water to one being is poison to another, and so on. I've given many teachings and spent most of the year teaching on this, uh, so not so much about this. But this is actually truly experiencing that mind creates all experience. Beings, apparitional beings, giving apparitional gifts to apparitional beings. So this is how it is. Out of compassion. And the more you can experience that, the greater your compassion. Okay? And then what kind of gifts would you give more and more? A gifts that liberate one from what? Not knowing about the nature of illusion. Why? Because not knowing about the nature of illusion is delusion. It causes suffering. Straightforward. Second, now let's move on to uh, second now. Uh, in order to, for one to receive a great amount of merit from the generosities, understand that they are increased by the power of wisdom awareness. Yeah. In any kind of generosity practice, if first you do it with the intention of giving things in order to establish all sentient beings in the state of enlightenment, in the middle, without attachment for the gift, and at the end, free from expectation of any result, you will receive the great merits of generosity. So this is understanding what generosity is doing. This is actually a, a discriminating awareness of what the gift is going to do and why you would, you would give it. Of course, so is the first one. But This is about intention. So the intention now uh, is to establish all being uh, in, in, the, in the quality of enlightenment mind, right? Whereas the other intention is, uh, is similar, but it actually is residing in a, in a reality of illusion and being able to um, see that illusion and dispel that illusion. Yeah. See it very, very clearly. But to know that, that all, all gifts are illusory, but they have their uses. 
And the uses can be just uh, can be love, can be compassion, all kinds of things. Free from expectation of any result, you will receive the great merits of generosity. So if you want to build parami, the greater your freedom from expectation, the greater is the building of parami for you. And if you understand the teaching of, uh, of becoming a bodhisattva, then by greater generosity for you, greater merit, what happens? Greater awakening for more beings. It's really simple. So this you have to keep reflecting on. Why this teaching? Over and over and over again. If you build merit, who is it for? Yourself and all sentient beings. As always. If you build better ethics, for you and all sentient beings. If you have more energy, then you share that energy. And so on and so on and so forth. So number three, third, making generosity infinite through the power of dedication. It increases infinitely if one dedicates this generosity practice to the unsurpassable enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So uh, the unsurpassable enlightenment, the vast scope of enlightenment, moves your mind to vast spaces. Oh, I would like to dedicate this practice to only my friends. My Dharma buddies. Yeah? Or my mother and my brother and my sister and my father, you know, this sort of thing. It's not good enough. I want to dedicate this practice of uh, generosity and uh, uh, um, meditation on emptiness to only the beings on Galliano, but nobody in Vancouver. <laughs> and certainly nobody in Victoria. Wouldn't dare. Something like that, you know. I'm joking, but something absurd like that. But yes, people do that, you know. They do that. So to break out of these are good beings, these are worthy beings. This is a worthy place to share my merit. This is a good being. I love these beings, so I will share my merit with those beings, right? You generate vastness by opening your mind to every single being. Eventually, you hope that by doing this practice, what happens? Everywhere you go and everything you do is what? For everybody. Even if it's directed toward one being. I mean, for instance, um, not very long ago, a week ago, someone asked me uh, for advice. They said, oh, could you re- I'm having a problem in life. Could you recommend a practice or a yoga or, or what should I do? So out of that arose, I said... Uh, uh, here, this is what you should do. Just you know, spontaneously rose, I saw it, saw it clearly, is uh, practice Shakyamuni Buddha. And I gave them some instructions on how to do the manifestations for uh, various things. I won't share that with you, but just things. And then about three or four days later, right? It was a full moon, or the day after, full moon. And uh, it rose in me that uh, this should be shared not just with that person, but everybody. You see? So gave that same text to you. Instead of that special being. They're not special. They just needed that at that moment. But because of that, that also uh, got shared too. Would it have happened anyways? It might have. But this is, this is about um, being able to uh, share it with countless beings. Just like this. This is being, you think, well, it's for you. But actually, it's, it's uh, out of the generosity, the good heart of... Uh, of Raphael and other people who requested it and are taking care of it, and uh, uh, Christian and in, in Germany and so on, uh, these talks are reaching uh, 
a wider audience. I have no idea. It's just wonderful sometimes. Not because it makes, makes me feel great, but I just go, wow, it's, the Dharma gets spread. Someone comes up to me and says, you know, I, I listened to that talk of yours. Yeah, when? Well, I draw every day to work or something like that. Or I, I listen to it uh, when I come home in the evening. Whoa. Uh, this is, this is um, it's, not being, it's not being hoarded. But even if it wasn't being uh, tape recorded, it's not being taped, uh, digitally recorded, uh, your spreading of, of this teaching over the course of your lifetime uh, is sufficient. And just the fact that we're having a retreat here on Galliano, and this is being taught, is benefiting many beings, not just the, the birds that are, sit on the feeder all day and get fat, because they're now having uh, there's pe- people here to feed them. And they just, it's great to watch a bird go, and then go. It doesn't have to move anything. It just has a big fat belly and just can sit on the, and I'll just go like that. Goes wow! I don't even have to fly around. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to look around. Just or just sit on the suet feeder, right? Just this is a really nice spot. It's got food. It's always got food. So so many beings are benefiting. Uh, vegetables are benefiting. Flowers are benefiting. Creatures, all kinds of creatures benefit. Raccoons are benefiting. So thousands of beings are benefiting. Yes. Who knows? Infinite riches. So how do we increase it? The Bodhisattva Bhumi say one should not practice generosity by looking at the result. In other words, don't don't um, don't get involved in working out. Is you know you just give, just give, 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 give. There's a special note on that. That just means the end, the end, um, end product. Usually, uh, as, he sa- as they say here, uh, with uh, a concern with wealth and um, prosperity and ego. You know, so. Will I get something out of this? Will it make me more wealthy? Will I, if I give this, will it engender this? No, it's the wrong, wrong motivation. Then what's the right motivation? Only one, which is two. You knew that was coming, eh? There's one, which is two. There's only one motivation for teaching Dharma. That's to liberate beings. And it comes from realizing more and more and more or having good glimpses of emptiness and the compassion arise in your heart, that is what must be done. Whether people give you financial support and to whatever level they give it to you is not uh, a concern. And if you can't get supported, then you work. That's all there is to it. Yeah? That's all there is to it. But um, gathering students for financial gain, uh, putting out your own um, billboards, as you drive into Victoria, you know the billboard stretch in Victoria, right? Uh, Lama Mark will be giving a, uh, a Dharma seminar at the uh, uh, Delta Hotel on the, uh, you know, uh, big poster. You put them up, you know, you get them advertising, that sort of thing. This is, this is not on. I, I make a joke of this, but it's not on. It's not a lot, actually. It's not a lot. If, uh, if it's genuine, it works. All the generosity practices should be dedicated to unsurpassable, perfect, complete enlightenment. Always remembering why it's being done. Why it's being done. Over. This is how you build. So you never finish a Dharma talk. You never finish your meditation. You 
uh, if you're giving gifts, if you're giving gift of dharma, if you're giving a gift that's, that's elevating people, and it's good, it's good, it's given love, it's actually sort, then you share the merit. Something is, as straightforward, uh, you find something. Maybe idante punyakamang asalaki wanghotu, but something, something. May this merit, may this merit, feel it in your heart, may this spread to countless beings. May it be, be, be good, be good, be good. Yeah? And not just hoard it. Dedication not only uh, increases generosity, but also causes it to become inexhaustible. Shariputra, for example, a drop of water dropped in the ocean will not be exhausted until the end of the kalpa. Likewise, when one dedicates the root of virtue to enlightenment, it will not be exhausted between now and when one achieves the heart of enlightenment. That's if it's done really well. Yes? If it's done really well, the merit becomes extraordinary. Extraordinary merit. It's like putting a little drop in. You only need a few drops. Like, uh, like flor- you don't all know fluorescein dye, do you? No. You know fluorescein dye? You know fluorescein dye? Okay, good. Good. Well-trained. Well, okay. No, that's a different, that's a different, that's a bioluminescent um, chemical. Fluorescein dye you see everywhere, but you don't know what it's called. You see it in dish soap. The green dish soap? Fluorescent green dish soap? Uh, helmets? Visors? Safety markers? You name it, it's there. And it's, um, it's also dropped in rescue missions, drop the water, and it spreads. So one tiny little drop, a little bit like this, will spread out in the ocean, or you can put it in a water system one, one place, and it will uh, glow and be able to be picked, detected, or you can even see it with your eyes. So it's, it's, it's like that, it just spreads out. So one drop, one moment of really pure generosity goes into the ocean of consciousness and has a way of ripening many, many things. 40 million acts of generosity that are tainted helps, right? It helps. It's good. It's great. But it doesn't have the merit of of giving really well, you know, as it says in the text. I don't want to go into all the details. Yeah? So it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge, it's huge. Why? And you'll know it too. You'll know it. You'll know it. It'll feel, it will not only feel good, but uh, it feels right on. It feels really, really right on. Perfection now. Number six. Concerning the perfection purification of generosity, the collection of transcendent instruction says, quote, if one acts with emptiness or shunita, and the essence of compassion, all the merit will be purified. In other words, the merit uh, will, will be uh, magnified, but it will be pure merit. It will be pure, pure, like... Uh, um, pure gold. Purely refined merit. Untainted. When, the, when these generosity practices are supported by emptiness, by shunyata, they will not become a cause of samsara. In other words, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, any kind of generosity that's tainted is still good. Okay? It's still good. Do it. But it still can draw you because it may be about you or it may be about wealth 
or it may be about getting ahead or pride, it's still going to bind you into uh, a rebirth situation, either in the future or now. Uh, greed begets greed, pride begets pride, jealousy begets jealousy, and so on. So, but there's still merit in giving. Right? Right? Still merit in giving. Even if it's tainted. But you work towards what? Taint, uh, sorry, giving. And you keep working to where it's absolutely free, like, like glorious clear water. Unstrained, just absolutely natural, flowing water that does what it needs to do. And you'll know it eventually. It will, t- it will be like drinking this lovely filtered water here. Sweet, beautiful, and you see its effects blossom. I can savor, I, I really could savor this last uh, page and a half for three or four hours. It's, it's, it's truly glorious. By the way, you'll feel better. I'll, should I give you an incentive to practice uh, generosity without any taints? Work towards that? Work towards it. So don't defeat yourself. Oh man, there's a little bit of taint there. I gave it away, but I, I felt a bit of regret. Uh, or afterwards, I went, oh yeah, well, I hope they like me. Be- oh, Don't be concerned with that. You work towards, what's, what's the right word for perfectualizing? Perfection? Perfect- <laughs> no, 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 no. It's got to be, perf- perfection is finalized. Perfectilating. Okay, I like, per- I like perfectilating. Yes. It's a new word. It's probably in the Oxford English. Perfectilating. <laughs> okay? So, so instead of getting yourself, I'm not perfect yet. Yeah? For those beings like that, I'm not perfect yet. I must stop until I'm perfect. I won't give anything away until it's perfect. No, perfectualize. Perfectulating. Perfecting. Yes, perfecting. When they are, suppo- they are supported by compassion, they will become, not become a cause of the lesser vehicle. You don't want that, a Hinayana vehicle. You know, not about yourself. Because this is what it's all about, right? If you're giving and it's not pure, it's about yourself. You want something, right? You want love. You want a gift in return. You want someone to say you're good. You want someone to say you're bad if you're a masochist. You know, all kinds of stuff. You get off on that and say, oh, please, please, I give this to you. Tell me how bad I am. You know, I, I made this for you, but tell me how bad it is. Please? You know, or, or the opposite is what? Tell me how good I am. Just tell me, please, how, how lovable and friendly and cuddly and, and all these things I am, yes? So, so you, you don't, nothing like that. Give the gift, it's gone. But if you give it out of compassion, what's it doing? It uplifts, it uplifts, uplifts. So pick your gifts wisely. Isn't that lovely? What would be good for that being? Not just something, oh here, I got a nice cup for you. I hope you don't do that for Christmas presents and birthday presents. Oh here, here's a, something I found on my shelf. <laughs> don't give it. Give them a hug and give them a kiss or whatever it is or say hello and it's lovely. But don't just give something that you feel, even if they don't, it's given out of generosity May it raise that being higher. Yes? Whatever it is. It, doesn't, it, it could actually be a stone. It could be a pebble from outside. 
But because it's given with such compassion and love, and wrapped in really beautiful Japanese rice paper that's hand-printed, and, and so on. Uh, you know, I'm joking, but, but it's, it's, it's how it's done. It's how it's done. How's it? Here's a project for you. Can you give a piece of Galliano sandstone to somebody and make it a gift, a beautiful gift? Can you do that? As if it's the most precious thing in the world. Or a shell from the beach. Or a, a, a piece of arbutus bark. Or arbutus cherries, which are beautiful. Ever seen arbutus cherries? They've been around for arbutus cherries. Beautiful. Bright red berries. Yeah. Or a slug. Bring someone a, a pet slug. That'd be a beautiful gift, wouldn't it? Beautiful black slug. Here, have a slug for today. <laughs> a slug? Yeah, look. Look how precious this beautiful slug is. See this? And I've got a leash for it. I actually gave you a leash with it. So it doesn't get in your garden. You know, it's like dogs you know, dig up the garden, right? Or cats dig up the garden. So you, you're slug. You want to have them on leashes. Is that what you do, Nancy? Yeah. You have them on, all on leashes? Yeah. Yeah. Collars. A little collars? Yeah. But they're comfortable collars, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, because they expand and, 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 they, and they're slimy, but they have to be tight enough. But, but you have these so they don't get in the garden. Isn't that a good solution? It's a very good idea. Why don't you trademark that? Patent it. <laughs> Pardon? Pet slugs. Pet slugs. Make them pets. Okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> how, many, how many thousands of, of lots. lots, yeah. They, especially uh, wintertime, they will become a cause only for achievement of non-abiding nirvana. Therefore, they appear. So any kind of gift that results in moments or more moments, one or more moments of non-clinging awareness, called nirvana, is a pure gift. Only for one microsecond. Okay, for half a microsecond. Okay, one quarter of a microsecond of non-clinging awareness is enough for it to be very powerful. Did you understand? Just like that. Enough. Then it's called pure. Supported by emptiness means, according to the Ratna Kuda requested sutra, that the practice of generosity should be stamped by the four seals of emptiness. Stamped is Mahamudra, the great stamp, by the four seals of emptiness. It is said this way, quote, one should practice generosity with, the four, with four seals. What are these four? One should be sealed by the pervading emptiness of the inner body. Body. Sealed by the emptiness of the outer wealth, of the outer um, self-experience, outer perceptual experience. Sealed with the emptiness of the subjective mind. And sealed with the emptiness, that's also, also called dharma, number three. And sealed by the emptiness of the dharma of enlightenment, uh, of, of usually of suchness. One should practice sealed with these four. This is high practice. So that means, this is also what is, uh, he doesn't mention this uh, in here, but when we go to practice uh, tantric practices, like the highest yoga practices, probably also in yoga practices too, yoga, yoga 
yoga um, tantra practices. But in highest yoga practices, full texts, not short little texts, but full texts, bigger texts, have uh, fairly extensive torma sections and other offering sections. That's what this is about. So you practice again and again and again offering. Offering into emptiness. Offering from emptiness. So there's whole parts of every tantric practice that harness you again and again and again to doing exactly what it says here is practicing uh, giving and the, the um, uh, parami with the four seals. So not only do you contemplate the vanishing of self, the vanishing of body, the vanishing of feelings in the Mahamudra or the insight section of a sadhana practice, evolved, evolved pretty much all practice, but the torma offering, which is profound, is, and the sock offering and so on, is a grant minor, as short, I won't say minor, but short, we'll take that back, not minor, short to extensive practice by which over and over and over again you get to contemplate and invest and remove and enter into uh, these four seals. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. This is fantastic. Some are very long, extensive practices. So that's, that's, that's where that, that comes up. Now I'm going to read to you the, what is uh, often known as the uh, four seals according to the Mahamudra. Tradition. So, if you want to write this down, uh, this this is what Gampopa is coming uh, is writing from, but it's a little bit different. Okay, a little bit different. So, the first seal. Uh, if you want to put that on the board, Raphael, it's important. The four seals. These are the four seals of Mahamudra. One, all that is conditioned is impermanent. You've heard this before, yes? All that is conditioned is impermanent. This is the body. So Gampopa is referring to this, this is the body. Not just the inner body, but body. Body, body, body. Uh, this, is, this is where you get to experience it, especially as you get older. It's all falling apart, bit by bit by bit. Yeah. Well, actually, since you were born. All condition formations are uh, vanishing before your eyes. You see? So where do you get this? See, as I, as I explained earlier in, the, in, the, in this teaching, by teaching, you can, you can uh, also get to see this easily in the outer world. Everybody's going to say, almost everybody who's got some intelligence is going to say, well, I see that, you know. Trees, of course they're going to age and die. The flowers, of course, when the seasons change, the flowers, and as the flowers' biorhythm changes, it's going to die. I, I can see that, right? And rocks break up. We, we take a piece of sandstone up there, we put it in the garden, oh, it falls apart. So even rocks break up. And we see earthquakes, all kinds of things. But you see, when it comes to insight practice, when you start to look at your own body, your own body, your inner experience of body, it's very, very different. It comes home. So you can see people, oh yes, I've meditated on impermanence. I, 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 I see, I see birds, I see the flag, the flag's falling apart. It's all, yes. That's very, very different than the moment-by-moment vivid mindfulness of the bodily, a body experience 
coming into being and passing away. Passing away. Coming into being, passing away. It's very, very different. Very different. Huge difference. Like day and night. So this is what's known as the, as the body or the inner body. It's the inner experience. Different traditions teach it some ways. Some traditions uh, they scan up and down the body. Some traditions uh, focus on the belly. Some they, because it's a gross physical experience. Uh, gross, I don't mean neg- negative, just gross, big. Uh, the rise and fall of the belly. Uh, some the nose at the sensation at the nose tip. Uh, all all kinds of different uh, traditions to either by sensation, by feeling, by mental state. You see, but not by outer phenomena first. Interior, inner, inner body, inner body experience. Watching sensations rise, fall, rise, fall. Watching uh, mental feeling rise, pass away, rise, pass away. There's no other way. There's, there's no other way. Unless, of course, you just experience, go right to the end and experience rig power, you experience the, the clear light nature of the mind. Then you've got all those wrapped up into one. But that's not common. Okay, let's carry on here. Okay, so number two, all that is tainted is suffering. This refers to the outer wealth, and by outer wealth it means the outer world. All experience, your experience of world, your experience is, uh, is tainted with suffering. Why? Because it's all based on a mind building up uh, of afflictive emotions. Everything that's built is going to happen. Is, is what's going to happen. It's built out of clinging, and it's going to fall out of clinging. And you can certainly see this on construction projects, can't you? It's a joke, right? Do it sloppy, it falls apart. That's clinging. Sloppy is clinging. Fastidious is clinging. Right? So all that is mind created will change. All that's just created anyways will, will change. Okay? But, but bec- it's, tainted with, uh, it's tainted with clinging, with, with the five skandhas. We, we spent quite a bit of time earlier in this uh, retreat on that. And then number three, now these can be changed sometimes, but um, yeah, some, some uh, teachings, uh, number three, nirvana is peace. This means all the conceptual thoughts have settled. The peace of no conceptual contrivances, no conceptual uh, thinking mind. So this is the emptiness of the subjective mind. The subjective mind it experiences uh, mind objects. It has let go. It sees the empty nature of, uh, that of experience. Now, the fourth one, uh, according to Gampopa here, Sealed by the emptiness of the Dharma of enlightenment. Okay. Uh, that can be uh, nirvana. It depends. Sometimes they list number three in the fourth place, number four in the third place, uh, but. In the Mahamudra tradition, uh, number three comes last. Okay? Just to let you know. In the Mahamudra tradition, number three is last. Nirvana is peace. It depends on the tradition. I've, I've seen both back and forth. Okay, let's carry on because I'm going to complete uh, this section.
Generosity supported by compassion means giving because you cannot bear the suffering of sentient beings individually or in general. By the way, this last paragraph, that would be good uh, homework for you for, before, for tomorrow and tonight, is look those over, consider those, and see if you can even practice giving. Go like this. Here's a cup. Going to give someone a glass of water. Going to provide someone with a meal on the table. Can you experience the empty nature of that and the receiver and the being giving? And use these four as a guide. Even one of them is fine. Okay. Is the gift transient? Yes. Does the gift have self-nature? No. Right? If it's a transcendent gift, what is it? It's the gift of Dharma. You see? And if it's, if it's empty of all conceptual contrivance, what is it? It's nirvana. That's how you give. Try it. This one you can do at home. You know something that don't do this at home? This one you can do at home. <laughs> Number seven, result. One should understand the results of generosity in the ultimate and conventional states. The ultimate result is that one achieves unsurpassable enlightenment. This is... Uh, generosity taken to the limit. If you were to practice pure generosity and generosity, just keep practicing it, and you keep probing it as a dharma, what is pure generosity? What is trans transcendent, transcendalizing dharma? So it doesn't, it's not fixed uh, in your mind. And you keep practicing this way, keep exploring it, guess what you'll come to? You'll come to unsurpassed enlightenment. Why? Because generosity is the nature of non-clinging awareness. As a transcendent paramita, it is what it is none other than uh, full non-clinging awareness, which is the stamp of Mahamudra, mixed with compassion. The Bodhisattva Bhumi says, quote, Thus all the Bodhisattvas who fully perfect the practice of generosity will achieve the unsurpassable, perfect, complete enlightenment. And there's been beings who've done that. They've served their masters, they've served their spiritual teachers, uh, beautiful stories of it, where they were the cook, they were the servant, they were the attendant uh, for 10 years, 5 years, 7 years, 15 years, 20 years, and the teacher said to them, finished. Done. They heard the teachings, they served day and night, they uh, took out the uh, pee, the pee bottle, well, the little tray for pee, these kinds of things, and they uh, practiced for the sangha, or the, the sangha and the community. They practiced, they practiced until they reached an unsurpassable quality of liberation through just generosity. There's beings that have done that. They're written up in the teachings. And then, you know, you, you read about it, uh, the, the teacher said to the, to the student, uh, you're ready to go forth and teach. No, I'm not. I'm your attendant. You're finished. Done. What do you mean it's done? Your mind is done. Don't you know you're, you're, you're cooked? You're finished. It's done. done. Don't I have to go meditate now for 20 minutes? No, actually you don't. You've heard the teachings. It's been transmitted. You've practiced it. Your mind is now in a completely uh, um, clear state. Yeah, it's happened. Just through, just through pure generosity for the triple gem. Now you see if it's generosity for your children or your lover or your partner, 
it is not probably going to do it. It's not, it's not high enough. I know, I know, I know, I know I'm going to get it. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, what did I say? Oh, your partner isn't high enough. It's not high enough for unsurpassable enlightenment. It must be, it really must be. I'm not going to say absolutely must be because it depends on, on, it could be, your partner could be an ara, your partner could be a great bodhisattva. It's possible. All things are possible. But let me, let me, let me leave a little wiggle room. You have a little wiggle room? Without this, without that kind of generosity uh, to the triple gem or symbols of the triple gem, then it's uh, much more difficult to uh, to purify deeply, 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 deeply purify. Doesn't mean you don't practice, but uh, a building merit quickly is to support. Now listen to what I mean by the triple gem: is to support beings' liberation. Your lover, your partner, when you're giving to them, may not be on about liberation. Yes? Understand? And the gift may not be about liberation. And the recipient at that point may not be about liberation. Does that make sense to you? Whereas it's more obvious when it's the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, or the Lama, and, and the community of practitioners. Why? Because it's directly about beings liberating. That has tremendous power. Follow? Good. Good, good, good. In the conventional state, one will gain prosperity through the practice of giving wealth, even if one does not wish it. If you give wealth, even if you don't wish it, it'll come. It'll come. Furthermore, one can gather trainees through generosity and connection, connect them with enlightenment. I'd like to change that sentence, please. I'll change that sentence. Let me rewrite that sentence. How's this? So it says here, Furthermore, one can gather trainees through generosity and connect them with enlightenment. How about if we change this? It's another translation. Through generosity, trainees will be brought to enlightenment uh, instead of temporary wealth or temporary happiness. How's that? So if you turn, say, I told Jamie we're using this. So turn it here. It's always, always uh, normal. I wanted to look it up. I was going, ah, I'd, like to see a, I'd like to see a different translation. Through gathering beings to oneself, by being generous, one will be able to orient them towards the ultimate. I like that. It's beautiful. So, what's the purpose for gathering students, trainees? What's the purpose? Liberation. Liberation. Not for gain. Not for gathering numbers. It's for, if, the, if you're generous to them, what's the purpose? The generosity is about what? Liberation. Liberation. If you give a gift to a student, it's about liberation. It must be an act of liberation, not to, to um, please them. It should please them. And oh, it doesn't. Gifts, by the way, don't always please from a teacher, but they're about liberation.
The condensed perfection of Wisdom Sutra says, quote, the generosity of bodhisattvas cuts off rebirth as a hungry ghost. Likewise, poverty and all the afflicting emotions are cut off. By acting well, one will achieve infinite wealth while in the bodhisattva's life and fully mature all suffering sentient beings through the practice of generosity. I remember one, um, this is a quick story. I'm just going to be careful about who it is um, in case I, I have them mixed up. But, but there, is a, there was a very, very highly realized master that vanished. He was born in northern India, Tibetan, born in northern India. It's many years ago, uh, before the Tibetans actually came out. And he held all these transmissions. He was a wealth of, 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 of liberation teachings, wealth of teachings, and was a highly accomplished master. He disappeared. He just vanished. Nobody could find him. He ended up, um, in my recollection, he ended up in Calcutta in a Hindu temple, practicing meditation in a Hindu temple, waiting for someone to come along, if they did come along for all these transmissions. This man was wealthy, but he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. He sat in a Hindu temple, lived off alms, meditating as a Buddhist. He was a highly accomplished Buddhist lama. People sought him out for teachings of bodhicitta. He was a highly accomplished lama. Teacher of many, many, I believe, one of the teachers of the Dalai Lama, other teachers. And... uh, just for years there until someone they went looking for him I believe and found him and said please 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 could you you know come out and then he did he came out and talked. but so no money no wealth just his robes maybe not even his robes maybe just beggar clothes but a jewel mine of dharma gifts you see So by acting well, one will achieve infinite wealth while in, a, well, in the Bodhisattva's life and fully mature all the suffering sentient beings through the practice of generosity. Eventually, uh, liberate all beings. The Bodhisattva Bhumi say, quote, one will become strong by giving food. One will achieve a good complexion by giving clothes. These are, these are uh, traditional. Oh, maybe it's true. Give clothes and let's see. Let's see uh, how your complexion is if you give away clothes. Might it might clear up? Uh, it might clear up skin difficulties. Yes, it might. Maybe it should be tried. Is it? I, I don't know. I, I don't. This, this I, I claim. Okay, I don't know about this one. This particular one, I do not know about whether your complexion. But listen, it says in the text. So try it. Get clothes. Gather clothes. Give away your clothes and see what happens to your your complexion. Okay. You you uh, Susan, you're, you're you're from a certain stock there, it's not going to help you at all. Your, your complexion is one of those immaculate uh, types. Yeah. Radiant, immaculate type. One will become stable by giving conveyances. Uh, this, this is a reference to, to horses. This today would be, a one, would, one, one will become stable by giving transport trucks. This is literally that. That's what the word means. It means transport. Vehicles of transport, but this is a reference to uh, horses or steeds to carry loads to uh, help people. Help help people, because think of the time. Today, uh, uh, lending your SUV, giving away SUVs, open trucks, flatbed trucks, 
four by fours, this, this, this kind of thing. And you go, wow, okay, that will bring you great, uh, great wealth. Giving horses away on Galliano uh, or, or lending horses, giving horses, may not have the same effect today as, uh, as uh, transport of a vehicle. One will have good eyesight by giving lamps. Makes sense, doesn't it? Could you imagine a time where, where people are just burning up their eyes at night and they're studying and they're reading text? It's like, you know, just trying to catch the last. I've done that in retreats where I didn't have any light. It's the last rays or anything. That's how I found out I needed glasses. Someone spotted me um, on couches or like this. That's how I was spotted. I said, I think you need glasses. about 40 at the time. I think you need glasses. Because I was reading, I would start reading like this. And it'd be like this, be like this, like this. <laughs> I couldn't even read for more than a, a minute without falling, so I just <gasps> like that. Really, just oh, put me right out. Any kind of reading. So, one will have good eyesight by giving lamps. Good lamps are valuable. Have you noticed that? Be, the ability to read and the ability to have good eyesight. Lamps, good light, is really valuable. Okay, by giving fearlessness, one will one will be unassailable by obstacles and maras. Yeah, the precious jewel garland says, "Quote by giving fearlessness to those who are in fear, one will be unassailable by all the maras, by all the afflictive demons." Yes, and will become supremely powerful by giving. That's because a fearlessness. At, at, uh, creates tremendous power in a being. I don't mean we don't mean egotistical power, but uh, having no fear, uh, like a general, like a great general. I used to have a I used to have a Chinese painting. Don't know where it went. <laughs> There's still things down there, or I might have. I think that might be one I gave away. It's fine. But a beautiful one I picked up in uh, Beijing, of, of this general. I really liked it, and the general. It's a beautiful Chinese painting. The general's sitting. And it's just this regal look. It's called the general. Just totally fearless in command. So this is a good quality. Nothing's going to stop him. Nothing's getting in the way. There's no fear. So, so this has tremendous power. When a, being, when a being has no fear, they have stood up to guns. They have had guns pointed at their face. And with no fear, or showing no fear, people backed away. This is for real. I'm not, not making this up. Thus I've seen with my very own eyes. Yeah? That doesn't mean that they couldn't get shot. Okay? But it's gotten people out of some very sticky messes by, by showing or demonstrating no fear. No fear at all. Not even budging. And people back down. Animals have backed down. Um, vicious dogs have backed down. Buffalo, wild buffaloes have backed down. No fear. No fear. None. And for humans, it's incredibly powerful because so many people are walking around in anxiety and fear. They need to encounter fearless beings who can show them. It's very, very important today. No fear. But no, no ego numbers. Just no fear. Very powerful and very valuable. They will become supremely powerful. By giving Dharma teachings, 
one will meet the Buddha swiftly. The power of teaching Dharma is a swift way to liberate. If, if you have that ability and, and, and authorization, one will meet the Buddha swiftly, will accompany him and achieve all that one desires. The precious jewel garland says, quote, giving Dharma teachings to those who listen causes obscurations to be dispelled and one will, quick, will accompany all the Buddhas, one will quickly achieve all that one desires. Sarvamangalam, Sarvamangalam, Sarvamangalam. This is the 12th chapter dealing with the perfection of generosity from the jewel ornament of liberation, the wish-fulfilling gem of the noble teachings. So I pray that all of you, as swiftly as possible, uh, develop the skills and the good qualities, the ethics and the parami and the training to be able to share the Dharma, to teach Dharma uh, when you're ready. I hope, I hope it's soon, uh, but not too soon, so you're not too uncooked, so to speak. And uh, because uh, by doing so, in, a, in an honest, humble, a beautiful way, sharing Dharma, uh, one grows very, very quickly, very fast, and, and builds uh, merit. And if you're an uh, intelligent being, you also um, will um, hone one's uh, awareness and insight. So it's not just for you, it becomes for everybody. It's very important. Okay. I think that's plenty for tonight. Any burning questions? Nope, don't see any. Got to be swift around here. Uh, nope. Idante punikamang asuakimango to Idante punikamang asuakimango to Idante punikamang asuakimango to Sabe satasid hantu. May all beings be healthy and happy, and may all beings be established in a continuity like an unbroken river of freedom, manifesting, emerging as a full Buddha, fully awake being, uh, imbued with compassion and wisdom. For all beings, for all beings, for all beings. Good. So, I'll see you tomorrow morning for a class. Uh, you know where. Over there. Good. Right. It's a glorious text, isn't it? Absolutely glorious text.